Hello there and welcome to our Match Preview Podcast. Callum Williams alongside Kindred D. St. Albin and it's all about the playoffs now moving forward. Minnesota United hosting Colorado Rapids in the first round of the MLS Cup playoffs on Sunday evening and it's now business time for the Loons as they look to make history and advance into the playoffs in Major League Soccer for the first time in their Major League Soccer history. Um, Kendra, it's a bit strange right now, a bit surreal, because not only has 2020 been as bizarre as it has, this could very well be the last match preview podcast we do this season, which is rather sad to think about. But approaching this game, that sort of mindset must be in in the, the players' heads, knowing that it's now simply make or break, it's shine or go home. As a player psychologically, how do you even start to prepare for a game of this magnitude? You know, honestly, I think this might be the year that they are most well-equipped to prepare for this moment, purely in the sense that they've had to make so many adjustments as 2020 has gone on. And they dealt with things that they never imagined they'd have to deal with. The stops and the starts and the preseasons, multiple preseasons, essentially, working out from home, trying to stay in shape, getting back on the field together, individual training, small group, full team, shutdowns due to, you know, COVID, individual players having to miss time, games having to be postponed, international duty, you name it, 2020 had it. So honestly, at this moment, heading into the postseason for the second year in a row for Minnesota United, they've got to feel nearly the most well-equipped that they ever have just because they've literally dealt with everything and you are so at least I would be as a player so appreciative and grateful that you've even gotten to this moment considering how 2020 went that you're just going to come out you know essentially guns a-blazing in that you are just you're going to come out firing on all cylinders you've got to come clicking and ready to go and just fired up to play this game you've had some time to rest and regen during this little bit of a break at the end of the regular season and regardless of who Adrian you know, has to throw out there, depending on who's available, you just got to come out knowing that this, you know, it's, it's just a joy to be on the pitch and playing soccer at this point. Yeah, in terms of who Adrian Heath has available to him, we'll dive into that a little deeper later on. All sorts of rumours and even suggestions right now, particularly in terms of those on the international stage, the likes of Robin Lurd and Jan Gregus, Kai Kamara and Homa uh, Metinier. We'll talk about them a little later on. First, though, Kendra, let's talk about the season that was. Um, I know we sort of spoke about it briefly with Chase Gasper in the last podcast, which you can find on the website, for those of you that missed it. But we didn't really get a chance to identify individuals who we thought were worthy of highlights. So, first of all, let's, let's start, shall we, with who you thought was the Minnesota United MVP of the season and why. I think the Minnesota United MVP of the season was Michael Boxall. And I'm not sure that there needs to be a ton of explanation for it. And other than he literally played every single minute of every match until he was sidelined the last couple of games. And he was one of those guys that there was what, five or six different center back pairings throughout the season. Plus the stops and start. He welcomed another new baby. He has a toddler at home. I mean, so if you're combining not just the on the field stuff, but the life situation and never complains, Adrian Heath, all he did was keep praise on him knowing that, um, you know, he's just a, an exemplified exemplary leader um, in every facet, dealt with injuries, a separated shoulder that we didn't even know of until, you know, nearly he was healing from it. And then, uh, you know, just other things along the way and does everything kind of with a smile on his face, along with doing every media availability that we ever asked of him. So I think for me, um, without a doubt, he is the MVP of the team this season. Um, I don't think he even maybe got enough credit in 2019 because he was alongside Ike Par and has Ozzy Alonso sitting in front of him. But I think this year you kind of saw um, that he has really shined because he didn't always have Ozzy in front of him and he absolutely didn't have Aikapara alongside of him. So that would be my MVP. Yep, you won't find an argument from me there either, Kendra. Michael Boxall for me, uh, the obvious choice. I understand people suggesting Kevin Molino. I get that, but I think Michael Boxall was the MVP. Um, essentially, as you mentioned, played every minute until his left leg was hanging off at one stage. He had a horrible... Almost, um, it was almost like a tear, wasn't it, in, in his left leg, which forced him to um, sit out the last two games, which was a real shame. But for, for me as well, Kindred, the reason why I think he's the MVP, and I say this with all due respect to those who came in to replace him, for me, he was the most obvious absentee. 
when other players who you would perhaps put in the same category in terms of people that, that you would identify as a potential MVP, when they were unavailable, there were individuals that could step in and I thought were perhaps not as effective, but effective enough. And, and as I said, I say this with all due respect to the likes of Coleman and Aha, who came in in the absence of Michael Boxall, but particularly that game against Chicago Fire, I thought it was the most obvious absentee of the starting eleven that we've seen all season. Hence why I completely agree, Michael Boxall for me, the MVP of the season for Minnesota United. Um, what about Minnesota United newcomer? Well, I mean, it has to be Emmanuel Reynoso. Um, for me. And I just think, again, a lot of times the goal scorers or the attacking players get the attention, they get the praise. But I think just for me, it, as an all around player, and I talk a lot to people about his defensive abilities and his ability and willingness to work defensively um, from all accounts, what we can see as a good teammate and people appreciate that he comes in as a highly touted, highly sought after designated player by Minnesota United. So much has been made about him coming in, but they appreciate that when he got here, you wouldn't even know it. I, I don't think he has an ego. Um, I think he's just a confident player. So to me, it's got to be him. I mean, seven assists. He's been here since September, missed a couple games in that stretch as well, and probably had a, a number of second assists and then finally gets his goal. So I think um, for me, he he would be the newcomer of the year, hands down. Um, and I think, it'll you know, Minnesota United was lucky to get him as far as, you know, just continuing the pursuit. And I, I don't know how um, I could pick anybody else. And he does it all with that. You can see the competitive fire in him, but he does it with a smile on his face. He seems grateful and appreciative of the game and the opportunity. And so I'm excited to see him in, in 2021 in the same jersey. Statistically alone, he wins this award, doesn't he? Um, as you mentioned, seven assists and a goal in just nine starts as well for Minnesota United. And as you mentioned, I'm sure there's a couple of secondary assists as well. I think just as well, Kay, because of the way he, he changed the structure of Minnesota United as well, um, no doubt they were a transition team before, but the, there was almost an element of they were forced to play a certain way and that was getting the ball out wide, which was obviously effective. It certainly worked very well in 2019 when they had the players that they needed to play that system. But Emmanuel Reynoso gave them the, the option of playing through the middle which they'd tried previously, and it was successful from, from time to time, but nowhere near as successful as it has been with Emmanuel Reynoso in the new role. And they, they can now transition through the middle, which is something they've not been able to do uh, for some time in Major League Soccer. Kendra, what about your, your favourite goal this season in the regular season? You know, I think I would also have to go with, um, and, I, you know, we talked about this. I don't even know why we talked about this. It feels like I can't remember what day it is. But I think also, I don't know if it's a recency bias, but also with uh, the favorite goal, I'd, I'd probably have to go with Emmanuel Reynoso's goal just because I felt like it was deserved in the sense that he had been willing to do the work, providing for others. We all knew that he wants to get his goal because that's what a striker, or that's what an attacking player, I should say, that's how they really feel like they're contributing to a team, even if they're getting the assist. And so the fact that he finally got his goal, it was a beautiful goal, and um, he, he deserved that opportunity for the amount of work he puts in off the ball, on the ball, creating for others. And he never looked like he was pressing to me, like he was trying too hard to score. He was still always willing to make that extra pass to find the player that was more open to give them the ball to score the goal. But ultimately, he gets his in the FC Dallas game, and I think that had to be a bit of a weight off his shoulders. So to me, not just the fact that it was him finally getting rewarded with the goal, but the fact that it was a superb goal as well and just a beautiful finish. I know we, we mentioned it briefly whilst we were talking with Chase Gasper last week, so we'll perhaps get through this one a little quicker, but my favourite goal was against FC Dallas, not the last game we saw Minnesota United play, but it was in early September, uh, a 3-2 victory at home for Minnesota United, and Kevin Molino was the individual that finished it. And I remember saying it was vintage Minnesota United because I thought it was in, in the sense that Reynoso dropped back a little bit and played a, a, he slipped a lovely through ball into to Mittenier who then fizzed it across first time and, and Molino executed the effort and, and finished first time as well. And I thought it was exactly what Adrian Heath has wanted for so long. And, and, and I just thought it was, um, it was a picturesque goal for Minnesota United. And um, it, it was when they get in their groove, it was a true identity of, of what the coaching staff has wanted for a long time. And um, here's hoping that becomes a regularity moving forwards. 
Um, what about favourite moments? This can be off the field, by the way. It doesn't necessarily have to be on the field. Well, uh, it, we weren't a part of a whole lot of off-the-field moments. <laughs> <laughs> um, aside from the Zoom calls that we all have, um, not being able to be at training or anything like that. But honestly, I think my favorite moment for the team in 2020 was, I've got two of them. One was the way they started the season on the road at Portland and the win they got. And that was when Luisa Maria, we saw him and we could see his quality and his combining and his ability to connect with Kevin Molino. I think that that really opened my eyes to what he could bring to the game and how much Kevin Molino enjoys and thrives off of playing with a player like that, which now we're seeing with him and Emmanuel Reynoso. The second moment for me would honestly be Minnesota United's first game at MLS is back. And not because it was a good start. I mean, you and I looked at each other at Allianz Field in the stadium club and we're like, holy moly, what is going on here? (laughs) And they end up with the late goal, you know, Kevin Molino. But ultimately, I think it was just because the tournament was happening, that the game was happening, that the season was going on. And we were in such limbo for so long that the moment for me – and that Minnesota United and, and all the MLS players had taken that sort of um, that step to sacrifice some of their personal lives, whether they're leaving behind wives and children and whatnot, to go to this bubble and continue the season. And um, so that those to me were the two moments. One was the start of the season and just feeling like, wow, Minnesota's getting off on the right foot, and we can see what what you know they just thoroughly went to Portland, a, a tough place to play. And at that time with fans, let's not forget, and, and get the win. And then also the first game of MLS is back for them, just knowing that, hey, this thing is going to start rolling again. And let's hope this gets done right so we can have a 2020. Yeah, mine's similar um, in that sense. But before I go to that, there's a couple of other things. that I, I think you could talk about so many different things that the club has done in the community off the field this year. Um, but one of my favourites was being able to drop your your voting ballot off at, um, at the Brew Hall. I think that was uh, a tremendous step forward. Um, and not that it, that it needed a step forward, but it was um, wonderful to see the club really making its mark in the community and, and offering that option to people. I thought that was really, really good. But uh, for me, I think actually just the return to Allianz Field, and I, I know Minnesota lost that game to Sporting Kansas City, but... As you mentioned, we'd had the MLS's back tournament and all of its oddities, um, and we got through it. And then there was that suggestion for a little while that that, that might be it, and, and we weren't sure if we were going to return to to stadiums again and, and home markets. And I think there was, as soon as the, the, the whistle went to start the game, I don't know about UK, I certainly felt a, like a, a weight off the shoulders. It was a huge sigh of relief because we knew we had several games coming up then again as well. And and it was almost as if, right, okay, we've gotten to this stage. We know we can do this now. Because for so long, there was so much uncertainty. Can we do it? Is it safe to do it in the stadiums, you know? And I, I think that was such an important moment for Major League Soccer. Not, not even just Minnesota returning to Allianz Field, but for Major League Soccer returning to, to its markets and identifying that it is safe. And okay, certain states are handling this differently but this is how we're going to do it in, in Minnesota and it is safe and we can now move forward with this. But for me, that was a massive moment just knowing that we can play games at Allianz Field. That was huge. Um, we sort of spoke about it a little bit earlier, but uh, and I, I would not be surprised if you had a similar answer, but who was your favourite new player and why? Well, I think it would still have to be Manuel Reynoso in the sense that, you know, what he has done to this club and how he's sort of, transformed the team and we've talked for a long time about this team needing a real number 10 and that's to not take anything away from Kevin Molino I just don't think ultimately his he is a true 10 in that solo position where he he needs players alongside of him that are like-minded in similar styles and similar technical and tactical abilities and so I think getting him Emmanuel Reynoso in that position really for me transformed this team and, you know, back to the goal you brought up, vintage Minnesota United and vintage, what really what we were expecting to see from this club, once you got a player of his caliber down that right-hand side of the field and the movement and the one touch and the, just the fluidity of it and the, the ease at which it was done, 
I think, again, it would have to be Emmanuel Reynoso um, for all the reasons we talked about before. But, you know, the other player I would, you know, you think you need, I would like to give some credit to even is, um, is Debassi. I think that, you know, he didn't get a whole lot of attention because he's coming in at the same time as Reynoso nearly. And defenders in general don't get a ton of attention compared to the high paid attacking players. But I think that what he has brought and the flexibility that it has allowed Minnesota United and Adrian Heath in that left center back, left back position has been huge for this club, especially with the injuries, with the ins and the outs of the roster and, and the players that have had to miss time. He has stepped right in and fit right in. And I also love watching him communicate with his teammates on the field when there's stoppages, when there's, you know, when there were, you know, breaks for injury or coming out of halftime, he's always trying to communicate. And even if it's not his strongest language and if he's not able to verbally just communicate, he's willing and wanting to work with his teammates as a new player. And I think that says a lot about him. Yeah, Debassi got my vote, Kay, because he came in and made essentially a seamless transition into Major League Soccer. You know, sometimes with the foreign lads, you, you at times expect an, an adaptation period, and there didn't seem to be one for Debassi. He seemed to settle in straight away. And, and we've said on previous podcasts and, and television broadcasts, you can't underestimate how much of a hole the absence of Ico Parra um, made for, for Minnesota United and, and how much of, of, a, of an issue it was. Um, so to have somebody come in like Debassi with the experience and, and with, let's face it, the, the, the way that he, that he plays the game as well, it, it was a breath of fresh air. And look, Minnesota were very fortunate having Jose Aha come in and, and fill the void quite valiantly, in, in my opinion, uh, and admirably, I thought. Um, but you could just tell, and I say this with all due respect, that um, Bakay Debassi came in and was at another level. And it gave the back line a boost. Whether they needed it or not, I don't know. But it certainly gave them a boost for sure. Finally, Kendra, before we start to talk about Minnesota against Colorado Rapids in the playoffs, what was your biggest surprise in 2020? That we got here. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, seriously, I think my biggest surprise... um, Oh, man. Gosh, you know what? I think it would have to be Dane St. Clair, honestly. And I know that's late in 2020. But again, let's talk about that evolution of that position. You know, Tyler Miller comes in highly touted over from LAFC. He's excited about the fresh start. He's excited about joining Minnesota United, getting back to the Midwest, went to Northwestern. Seems like a great guy, um, a great locker room guy, great person, someone who we've had on the broadcast. Then he goes down after MLS is back. So you talk about having to transition and kind of deal with things. Then you go to Greg Ranjit Singh, and he ends up with an injury. And all you've really got on your bench is Fred Emmings, you know, who just started driving himself to the field. (laughs) So I think Dane St. Clair going on loan, coming back, and – just stepping right into that role. I shouldn't say surprise because I'm not surprised that he did it, but still that's a massive transition for a goalkeeper that young that has not played in any MLS games. I know he played in some friendlies in 2019, but for him to just step in and hear his teammates talk about him and his confidence and his abilities and look like he's not phased by anything. Um, I think that that to me was a welcome surprise considering all the other craziness that had gone on in 2020 in the world, in MLS, and with this roster um, and what they've had to deal with. So kudos to him for seeming unshaken and, and kudos to the, you know, the back line in front of him and his teammates for really supporting him and lifting him up. And I love what Chase said last week, you know, when I asked him jokingly about fitting his you know, Dane's head in the doorway because his ego gets so big. I think he's confident, but I don't think he's arrogant. I think that's a fine line. And I, you know, I appreciate Dane's personality. We just don't ever see it on the interviews. He's like the worst interview in the history of mankind, but we know that's not what his real personality is like. No, not at all. Fine line, as you say. I'll be honest, I think my biggest surprise this year, and again, I say this with all due respect, my biggest surprise was the ability of Ja'Cory Hayes, actually. I, I was aware of him. We, we knew he was a good player, um, a good squad MLS player. Obviously, he played, what was it, 38 times for FC Dallas before coming to Minnesota. And I'll be honest, I, I expected sort of a, a similar contribution. I thought he'd be in and out of the team. I thought he'd fill in gaps here and there. But actually, he became far more important than I think a lot of people actually thought. And certainly from my point of view, 
he's a much better footballer than I thought he was as well. I didn't realise he was quite as technical as he was. I thought he was one of these, you know, um, typical uh, American players that come out of college as, as a central midfielder. They're high intensity, they're full of energy, um, they're aggressive, but, but there's a little bit lacking in terms of technique. I thought Ja'Cory Hayes was anything but, and I was really surprised. And, and I think it's been great to see him develop and blossom at Minnesota United. And I think if he plays his cards right, he could be at Minnesota United for a long time. Well, and another consummate teammate. You know, I think we, we knew right from – he didn't even make the traveling squad the first couple matches. And I think it was a good problem for Adrian to have that there was the depth in the midfield now, including Hassani Dotson at that time – and it's hard to go to training every day and go through that long, tedious preseason, then to have the stoppage and then the shutdown and then another preseason. And then, you know, and for him to come back then after all that in form and not to our knowledge, ever put up a fuss, just keep working hard. He's got a million dollar smile. Um, I think that to me was another and a reason why maybe not surprised, but you know, it, it was nice to see him find success because of that quite surprised at how comfortable he looked in transition as well. I thought he was a much more defensive-minded player as well. He seemed to transition quite seamlessly into a box-to-box role. I, I thought he was great. I, I, I really think he deserves a lot of credit for this season he's had. Uh, OK, let's move on uh, quickly because next up uh, in the forthcoming segment, we'll be talking to Marcelo Balboa about the upcoming game for Minnesota against Colorado. Kendra, your initial thoughts. How, how do Minnesota United get the better of Colorado Rapids on Sunday? Well, first of all, I think it's going to be a great game. I think the last match that Minnesota United had at home against Colorado, which was a late own goal by Colorado, I do actually think that was a pretty good representation of what we may see, depending on the players that are available for Minnesota United. And that is a massive if. That is a massive who. Because we know the internationals that are missing for Minnesota United are big role players. But you still have Emmanuel Reynoso. You still have Kevin Molino, to our knowledge. Sonny Dotson should be available. Chase Gasper. Hopefully, Michael Boxall is healthy and good to go. So, with those players, um, you know, and Ethan Finley is another one. So, Robin Lloyd missing, of course, Kai Kamara. And Roma Mezzanier would be massive um, as well. So, I think that um, – and Jan Gregus. I shouldn't leave him out. He's on a scoring tear, apparently, with Slovakia. <laughs> Um, I think that this is going to be a great game, and I really do think, and, and I said this to Marcel earlier in the week, that it is about the midfield because I think that both these teams have attacking pieces that can be very fluid, and there's some pace on the outside. Both teams like the overlapping runs by their marking backs, their outside backs, especially Sam Vines for Colorado. So it's about who is going to get on that front foot early and take advantage of their opportunities in the final third of the field. And so much of that is going to be dictated by the midfield. If you can shut down the midfield um, and kind of really keep Jack Price in his position and contain him, not allow him to just pick apart the pass. Eunice Nomley is another player that is so good for them, whether he's inside or on the wing. And, um, kind of clog up the midfield, keep it compact defensively, and then get that ball in transition and go the other way, but with possession. And I think we saw a lot of that against FC Dallas in the last regular season game, where with that front four, I believe it was Ja'Cory Hayes and Jan, who, who I can't even remember who played in that last game. It was so long ago. <laughs> was it? No, it wasn't Ja'Cory Hayes. Marlon Hairston. Marlon Hairston, and, yes. and he did fabulous as well, you know, in his second game in that starting role. I think that whoever is central and available for Minnesota United has got to really kind of hold down the fort, let the front four do the work offensively like they did in the last game and not allow that quick transition um, from the opposition. But more importantly, you control the midfield and get that transition. Um, I don't think it's a big game where you're going to want a lot of service from the outside. I think Lalas Abubakar is, is really good in the air. He's very aggressive. He's very physical. I think it's going to have to be ball, you know, on the ground play, the ticky-tack kind of stuff that, uh, that Kevin Molino and Emmanuel Reynoso love, and Ethan Finley has gotten good at making runs in behind. So to me, that's what it's going to be about. It's, it, but I think it's going to be a great game. I think it's going to be a low-scoring great game um and we'll see what happens but i think being at home is a big advantage even though colorado has had some success on the road this year yes they have indeed five away wins for the rapids in this regular season uh, before we go to break Kendra, let me ask you this we mentioned this against fc dallas in the last game for minnesota united once again in such an irregular season the only elements of regularity at all for the loons really has been the three players that operate behind the center forward you needed a big performance from them against FC Dallas, you got it. Surely it'll be a similar case against Colorado here in the playoffs. 
It has to be. I mean, that really honestly changes the way this team plays. And you know what it was so much about, I think, in the FC Dallas game is they were clicking right from the first whistle. There was no hesitation. Adrian had harped and harped on his team about slow starts and starting off a little slow. And I think those front three, the three sitting behind the attacking player, really control that. If they start off on the front foot, if they're putting on the pressure, if they're clicking, if they're creating things, also pressuring defensively, they are the first line of defense. If they start off the game that way, the rest of the team will follow. And that can only be good things for Minnesota United, as we saw against FC Dallas. Intriguing stuff. Stay with us on the Match Preview Podcast. Next up, we will dive really, really deep into Minnesota United against Colorado Rapids with a U.S. soccer legend in Marcelo Balboa. We'll see you after the break. Hello there and welcome back to the Match Preview Podcast. Callum Williams alongside former golfer soccer star Kendra D. St. Aubin as always. Now then, Kendra, to help us preview the playoff match between Minnesota United and Colorado Rapids, we thought we'd bring in some U.S. soccer royalty. And we've done just that by welcoming in Marcelo Balboa to the podcast. Marcelo, how are you? I'm good. I was waiting to see who you invited. You said royalty. I'm like, can't be me. (laughs) No, only you, my friend. Thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Before we get in to the nitty-gritty aspect of the game from a tactical point of view, I think it's safe to say 2020 has affected Colorado Rapids more than just about anybody in Major League Soccer. How has it been over the course of the last couple of months? You know, it um, it's affected everybody, unfortunately. Uh, this year has just been a, a very strange and awkward year for everybody. And uh, hopefully we can get through it healthy and sound and, and, and get back to somewhat what normal will be like. But it hit us pretty hard. You know, the fact that we had to shut down for 30 days, uh, not able to play five games. So, um, listen, uh, you got to make the best of the situation. Colorado's done that. They, they've put the boots back on. They went out. They struggled at the beginning. And all of a sudden, after two, three games, they, they seem to have, find, have found their, their rhythm again. And, uh, and it's become the team that we thought they could be the last three games. Was there ever, Marcelo, the, the thought in the back of the mind, even for a split second, that maybe the season was done for Colorado? Um, I think in the back of your mind, we tried to, as broadcasters too, and part of the organization, you, you try to think positively that, that we would get back out there. Um, but you're not sure in the back of your mind, you're always having that little bit of doubt. But uh, they closed it down quick. They they isolated the players. They 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 did what they needed to under the protocol, and uh, unfortunately, we were able to get back out on the field, able to play some games, and uh, with the new format of points per game, uh, we got in there. And uh, now it's about you know fighting for a championship, fighting for that uh, for that trophy that everybody wants. Well, and we talked about that um, the other day when I joined you. And were you guys sort of somewhat relieved or almost elated that you also get in on on total points? Because there was a lot made about the points per game and that you guys were originally sneaking in there. But then you made a clear cut case for yourself. Seattle, Portland, you know, kind of ticking off the boxes. Yeah, you know, I think it's important, Kendra, to, to check off those boxes because there was a lot of people out there talking about uh, per points, they're going to let Colorado in, they're going to play five less games. But uh, I think over the last three or four games, you you saw what Colorado can do. You know, they beat Seattle. That was the number one team in the West at that time. Then they go to Portland. They beat Portland in Portland. And then you go to, to Houston. And you know how it is. Houston, you just don't know what you're going to get. They're fighting for their contracts. They're fighting for their lives, their family. And uh, they come out of it with a two-to-one win. So, yeah, you know, it's nice to, to have enough points to be into the playoffs. And, and people can't say, oh, points per game. They squeaked in. You know what? It doesn't matter how you get to the playoffs. I think we all know that. As long as you get there, you've got a fighting chance. And now, listen, Colorado's got a fighting chance. They're one of the most rested teams leading into this playoffs that can make them dangerous now. It's the first time, Marcelo, that Colorado Rapids have won three games straight this season. Why the yep. sudden search? Where does this come from? Uh, listen, I think you can take a lot of things. One, I think you got to give credit to Robin Frazier to, to get these guys to play tactically under the formation he wants them to play, but also with the freedom to express themselves. And I think that's always important as a player to be able to express yourself is what soccer is about. And he's got that kind of cued in. He's got everybody knowing that they're going to be a part of this, that they're going to have to be in next man up, basically. 
So I think that that helps. The other thing is, let's just be straight up and honest. The fact that we had 20 some, almost 30 some odd days off while everybody else was playing, they had tired legs. We were hitting form while other teams were struggling because of the travel and this and that. And it's not an excuse. It's just reality. But Colorado took advantage of that. You still have to go out and get the job done on the field. And Colorado did. Well, and how important is momentum? You talk about them kind of hitting their stride at the right time. And people could view the month off that you guys had as a blessing or a curse. You know, I don't, I mean, Robin Frazier said today, nobody wants to take a month off in the middle of the season. But at the same time, you may be fresher from a physical standpoint. But five games in 15 days or whatever it was is is no joke. But are they kind of firm believers in momentum heading into the postseason? I don't know. Are you guys firm believers of momentum with eight games without a loss? So, I mean, you know what I mean? That's why I think this, this is a, it's an in, very interesting matchup because both teams at the end were hitting their peak. Uh, you guys three, nothing over Dallas. We go to Houston and be Houston, you know, the two, two tie at the beginning of the year. And then we give up a goal in the last minute of the game against you guys at home. So, you know, uh, listen, I think it's a great matchup. I think it's going to be one right in the midfield. I think back lines are both equally as strong. I think up front, you guys have some great players. We have some great players, but it's in the midfield. The midfield to me is who's clicking, who's who's able to adjust quickly. It's going to be the team that's going to take advantage that day. And again, it's they're not like they're high-scoring games. So a mistake could cost you your playoff run. It's all good having momentum, Marcelo. We're aware of that heading into the postseason, but it has to be organized as well. And that seems to be something that the Rapids have conquered very, very well indeed, particularly in the midfield that you mentioned. How important is Jack Price to the flow of Colorado Rapids? Uh, Listen, uh, when you talk about a guy who's a leader, you talk about a guy who's organizing and every single player on the team respects that guy. When he says something, you listen. So he's dangerous on set pieces. He organizes well. He always finds, if you watch him play, he's never really in that that guy that puts himself in a situation where he's got to dribble somebody really quick. He's always finding the pockets of space in between lines to receive a ball and switch the ball and move it. So um, he's a huge part. He's a huge part. And give it, getting Acosta back now almost fully fit is a huge bonus for Colorado. So, but Jack Price, it, it, when you talk about a heartbeat, he's the heartbeat. He goes, we go. And maybe somebody, and rewatching the Houston Dynamo game, and again, you said Houston's kind of playing for their lives with the contracts here, but somebody who I thought really shined in that game was Brian Galvan, and maybe yeah. somebody that people aren't familiar with. So when there's some other guys that we know the Colin Acostas, we've talked about Jack Price, we've talked about yeah. the youngsters, Sam Vines, Cole Bassett. What does a player like Galvan that maybe people might see in the game but aren't aware of bring to the table? You know, a, a young kid, uh, low center of gravity, very hard to knock him off the ball, feisty. He'll chase everything down. But when he uh, decides to run at you, watch what he does. He'll lean into you. He'll get just that little tiny, just that little hesitation as a defender, which you hate because he gets you leaning to the left and he beats you to the right. But when you get a kid that, and and we see this in this league all the time, when you really don't know a player, it's his first year, you're trying to study him, you don't have a lot of video on him, it's it's tough to analyze what he likes to do. So that makes him dangerous already. So uh, will he start? We'll see. But uh, coming in off the bench, he's been fantastic. He's a spark. When you come off the bench, you've got to spark the offense. He does that along with Rubio. Him and Rubio get along really well, along with Mosquita. So listen, and... It's just one of those players that's unpredictable. And when you're unpredictable, it's tough to mark. Another player that we're not entirely sure if he'll start or not, Marcelo, because of his international duties, yeah. has been a player that you'll be familiar with in Kai Kamara. We saw Cole Bassett say earlier on today in the media availability that it's going to be strange for him personally to go up against someone who he looked up to. Surely he yeah. won't be the only player who will find it strange to be going up against Kai Kamara. Listen, it's part of our business, isn't it? You know, I think when we look at players who get traded, this is just something that happens in MLS. One day you're here, the next day you're there. So these guys are professionals. Is it going to be weird? I can tell you what, sure. In the pregame, you'll see them, you'll say hi. But as soon as that whistle blows, that weirdness is out the window and you're going to fight for your playoff life. Uh, And that's what Colorado's got to be careful because if Kai Kamara uh, 
does play depending on what the rule is. You know, you know what I mean? All these things we've been hearing about. Kai Kamara is a hard guy to mark. He's good in the air. He plays with his back towards Gorewell. He connects with the midfield. So that that's a handful for Colorado. But I think the weirdness goes out the window real quick as soon as that whistle blows. It's game on. It's no longer you're my ex-teammates. I'll see you at the end of the game. We'll be friends. But until then, for the next 90 minutes, you're not going to get any sort of break from me. Who has the advantage then when you play a former team? Because Cole Bassett also talked quite a bit about how much he learned from Kai and how much they worked after training about when I make this run here, I'm going to go there. You play the ball here. This is where I want the ball. This is where I want it to be. So who has the advantage then? Is it the team you got traded from or the player that got traded, you know, when they go against their former club? You know, it's one of those, it's one of those deals where the, the master never shows all his tricks. He shows you enough, but the master always has something in the other sleeve. Kai Kamara's got some tricks up his sleeve. He didn't teach everybody everything he knows and how to mark him from Lalas. We know that. But you know what? I think when a, tra- when a forward gets traded, the advantage goes to the forward because the forward has something to prove. The guy that got traded always has something to prove. And he wants to show the team that he got traded from that you shouldn't have traded me. This is what I bring to the table. So how many times have we seen in MLS when a guy gets traded that he comes back and scores or gets an assist or haunts that team a little bit? So that's what worries me anytime you get traded is what would that guy, how much more motivation does he have to prove to the Rapids organization that you shouldn't have got rid of me? And that makes a dangerous player. Or on the other hand, he's trying too hard and it doesn't come. So uh, I think the pressure's on Kai because he got traded. I still think Kai, no one likes to get traded. And when you do get traded, you do have that. I want to show this guys why they shouldn't have traded me. Talking of pressure, Marcelo, um, I think Kendra and I were talking about this the other day. We were wondering, with the game being of the magnitude that it is, we can't remember the last time that a game of, of this size where Minnesota were actually going into it as favorites. There's pressure on Minnesota to deliver here, particularly with it being at Allianz Field. Will, will that play in Colorado Rapids' favor at all? Um, I think so. I think so. I think when, when the home team has the obligation to be more offensive-minded, they have the pressure to win because they're at home. Um, yeah, I, I think it does put the pressure on Minnesota. And Colorado does seem to play a little bit more comfortable with the underdog role. They are the underdog role there. They're coming. And even though we jumped into fifth place, people look at us as the underdogs. So, um, I, again, I, to me, it, it's such an even matchup. For me, this year, anybody can win MLS Cup. It, it really can. Not just Minnesota or Colorado. Anybody, for me. Anybody that makes the playoffs has an opportunity to win this. But, again, anytime you're the home team, you're the fourth seed, you get that home game, you are – the the favorite in that game and again Colorado to me does better playing as that underdog role we talked a little bit about what you saw from Minnesota in the last matchup and heading into this one and and the front four and the attacking pieces but what specifically maybe struck you about the last game against Colorado we've talked a lot about Emmanuel Reynoso and the kind of effect he has on this team when you see a player like that of that caliber what kind of struck you specifically and maybe a specific player he did, to be honest with you, because I didn't see much of him. We haven't really seen a lot of games. We played, I think, Minnesota one time uh, uh, before, after the, uh, the MLS return uh, tournament. So I wasn't sure what to expect. A kid that you kind of see him running around, you're like, okay, I'm not, I'm not seeing something. And then all of a sudden, he got the ball. And I'm like, oh, boy. Oh, boy. You can see how smooth he was and how he was looking for the ball. And I don't think we've seen a, a playmaker that is constantly looking for the ball. He wasn't getting it up front. He would drop back the back and got it off a center back. He's trying to make the game happen. And when you have a guy like that that's buzzing around all over the place, it's very hard to mark unless you're going to man mark him, which no one does that anymore in this league. So he, he struck me as a guy who that team will revolve around. If he goes, that team goes. And then Molino, a little surprised. He didn't – I guess I was expecting more in the last game. And I didn't see everything that I've heard about over the last, you know, four or five games. So I'm expecting him to come out and have a big game. And that's where Colorado has got to be careful. And again, depending on 
the international rule, if how many, if they're going to be able to play. And I don't know if that's come out yet. I haven't seen anything, if they're eligible to play or not the guys that are coming back from international duties. But uh, if, if he's on the field with a full boat, he's a, he's probably one of the most dangerous players in the Western conference. Not as if Colorado Rapids are uncomfortable playing on the road, though, Marcelo. You're only one of four teams across Major League Soccer that have won five road games this season. Why? Why is that in this year of all years? You know what? Again, I think Robin's done a good job of, of letting these players know that it doesn't matter if we play at home or away. We've got to be one of those teams that presses. If Colorado sits back on their heels, that's where Minnesota took advantage of them. They caught them in transition from attacking to defending and they got their goals. Colorado, to me, is a team that needs to, to be on the front foot. They need to make the other team feel uncomfortable. And when they do that, they did it in Houston. And at times, listen, you're going to see Colorado drop back on the road and play a low block, just like they did in the last few minutes against Houston. Low block, they hit them quickly with four guys on a counterattack. They won the game 2-1. to one. So for me, I think that the biggest thing, and, and I think we all know it, when the fans aren't there in Minnesota, it's an even game. When the fans are at a stadium with the home team, that gets on you a little bit. You hear the fans, the, you hear the pressure, the energy of the stadium. That's not there right now, unfortunately. So that, that for me, that levels out the playing field. The home field advantage for me is gone. Now, it's, unless you're at altitude like us in Real Salt Lake. But besides that, I, I think it's an even match. And I think that's what, where Colorado is taking advantage of it. They have played the way they play at home on the road. What about Shinishiki, uh, 2019 Rookie of the Year? I know that that award no longer exists now, Young Player of the Year, because of yeah. the nature of the way the league has gone, which is probably a good decision. But yeah. how do you feel his sophomore season? Did he have a bit of the sophomore slump? Uh, yeah, he did. He did. He struggled at the beginning of the year. And uh, like anything else, it, it, took him, uh, it took him a little time. Because once in this league, once you see a player play, you know how to defend him. And you know how to mark him. And now as that player, that second year player, you got to figure out your game. You got to figure out what you can do now to throw guys off balance. And if you watch what he's done over the last probably month since they've come back from COVID, he's been fantastic. He's gotten that spark back. He's gotten his legs back. And the most important thing, as we know, for any sort of 7, 11 or 9, it's confidence. How much confidence do you have? And, uh, and he's been putting himself in good positions. So it's nice to see him get his confidence back and, and play the way we're used to seeing. When Shinishiki gets the ball, he runs at you. He's in a good space. When he's looking to pass, that means he's not feeling it. And over the last month, he has been on a roll. Marcelo, given the extended nature of Major League Soccer this season, in terms of playoff positioning this year, um, not finishing in the playoffs would have been a disaster for anybody this season, in my yeah. opinion. I think just about everybody who made the playoffs can say, yeah, we've had a decent season. It's just now about what we do moving forward. If the Rapids are to lose at Minnesota on Sunday, can 2020 be identified as a good season for them? You know, um, that's a tough question. And only because of this pandemic and everything that's happened in this year, to say that it was a good year, um, I would say you'd have to be proud of everybody in MLS and every MLS team because to be able to get these games in in this economy and everything that's gone on has been very difficult for everybody. Um, we're blessed enough to be able to do TV and these guys are be able to on the field. We're blessed to be able to have some entertainment out on the field. So I think everybody that played this year, be it from the NBA to the NHL that got on the field and, and played and finished their season had a successful year. It doesn't matter if you make the playoffs or not. This year has been so difficult that you, you've got to applaud the teams and the leagues that have tried to get this done and you're going to have hiccups. We all know that, but I think that everybody in MLS has had a successful year to be able to play 23 games in what's been going on in 2020 is is a standing ovation to me because it's not easy to contain 26 players plus staff plus front office so yeah I think it doesn't matter if they win or lose it's been a successful year for Colorado and every MLS team. Speaking of just MLS on a broader um, spectrum here you've been around for a long time what what do easy, you make? Easy. <laughs> easy. 
<laughs> what do you make of the evolution and the strides of this league and not just the addition of teams, but the quality of players, whether it's, you know, homegrowns and young players coming through academies or it's international players that are wanting to come in? Um, yeah, you know, I think it's been fantastic being a guy who's been around for 25 years and watching the ups and downs of this league. Um, going from a league where people were calling it a retirement league, which I think struck everybody uh, really strange, but that was what this was called, league was called for a while, to watching teams now starting to invest in younger players, putting their money where their mouth is. They said they wanted a young team. Colorado has a young team. I think at one point we were at 23 point something years of age out on our field. So in order for this league to keep going forward, we, we have to invest in the younger players, be it our academy players, our academy system, um, finding the young up-and-coming players that are in Europe or in South America or in Central America. Um, it's been fantastic to see what, what especially what Atlanta does, what, what they went out and bought with Almaron and, and those kind of players that they've done. Um, Colorado with the players from, from the academy, because we're used to talking about Dallas and Dallas and their academy and Philadelphia. But it's nice to see teams now starting to develop their own players um, and, and putting this place, it's a world market. We have to develop players to sell them. And when we sell them, we got to reinvest it into the players that we have or go out and buy the young 19, 20, 21 year olds that have a future. So it, it's been nice to see it have its hiccups, which we know we would. But at the end of the day, it's moving in the right direction because every team is competitive. There's not one team you can say they're, they're going to win MLS Cup. We know it. They spend more money. It's not like that. Uh, uh, everybody right now uh, it, it has an opportunity to win MLS Cup with a nice run. And, uh, and again, a little bit of luck. We'll see what happens this, uh, this next month. A rather large question for you here, Marcelo. So apologies for putting you on the spot. Um, <laughs> You mentioned, obviously, it's been a, a fabulous last couple of years, particularly for Major League Soccer and the growth, yeah. and particularly the international growth as well. I think this league yeah. is now as respected as it ever has been across world football. Yep. Um, what's been the biggest surprise that this league has, has delivered to you over the, the course of, let, let's limit it to the last couple of years? The surprise? Um, wow. I, I guess when, when you look at everything... Um, the investment that people are making to buy a franchise and to want to be part of MLS. Who would have thought 25 years ago that we would have ownership that wants to spend $300 million to buy a franchise and to be a part of soccer. Um, to watch this sport over the last few years become a major player in sports in the United States has been huge. When teams are coming to our league, to buy young American players like Aronson and take them to Europe, they're seeing something, you know what I mean? And, and I think that's where, where we're growing. But I think for me, it's the fact that we have ownership that wants to be a part of MLS. It has a passion to be here from St. Louis to Sacramento, who's going to join us to Austin, who's going to join us next year. Um, again, when I, when I started in 96, I would have never have thought that we were going to reach 300 million and there's a waiting list of people wanting to join MLS and to be a part of soccer. So the question is, Marcelo, where does it go now? What does MLS look like in another 25 years? <laughs> um, I hope to be alive. That's, that's for sure. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I think you'd only keep going up and that's going to, you know, eventually you're going to see this, this league switch into a European calendar on a, on a FIFA, on a FIFA schedule. Um, and kind of going that, you're going to start seeing major movement between us and South America and us in Mexico, us in Europe, this league. So listen, uh, I don't think there's a ceiling right now. I think we've got to be careful of how we grow this league because we do not want to grow it too quick. When you have a foundation and there's always a little crack somewhere, maybe you don't see it, but it's there. We have to make sure it stays small. So we have to make sure we grow at, at, a, at, a, at a normal rate, we have to make sure we're crossing our T's and dotting our I's to make sure we're not trying to cheat anything here, like trying to get rivalry between us and Mexico. We can't force that. That's got to come organically, and it will come eventually. But I think the next step for all of us is, is I guess, now is where does the TV money come in? Where does the marketing money come in? The big, the big you know, 
ABC, CBS, uh, NBCs of the world? Are they going to pay to start putting soccer on TV? I think that's where you go to Europe and that's where the money's made. So I think that's probably the next step is how do we get to that point to get the big TV deals, the ESPNs, the Foxes, the Univisions, all of them to under the same roof that are putting national games on TV every week, not just regional games. And last but not least, if I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the men's national team, you know, two games this past week. And, you know, so, some people of your ilk who have been around for a long time with the yeah. national team as well, 88 to 2000, I believe it was. So what do you make of the current crop and the future and what they can do after not qualifying in 2018? Uh, listen, uh, I'm super excited. I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I didn't really, the, the, the Panama game, I don't like those kind of games right now. Um, but I understand why they have to play them. But uh, you look at the young crop of kids that are coming up from the Reynas to the Pulisics to the Weston McKinney's to the Adams, um, Soto, who scores goals. Uh, I'm excited. Uh, I don't think that this team will have a problem qualifying for the next World Cup. I don't. I, I really think that a lot of countries right now in Central America and CONCACAF are going through this transition of new generational players. Uh, I think we're leading that. I think we've got players that are different. They're stronger. They're faster. They're more athletic. And the biggest thing to me out of this crop, this crop of players is they're super excited to wear that national team jersey. When they put it on, you see that smile on their face. You're like, this is different than the group that was before. After a while, you see guys were just like, oh, okay, it's just another game. Not for these kids. These kids have something to prove because of not qualifying for that World Cup. And again, listen, we took a step back, not qualifying, to take two steps forward. Because if we did qualify, I don't know if we'd be talking about these young kids right now. So for me, it's to watch them keep developing, to watch them play in the next World Cup and see how they do. And then uh, I tell you what, 2026 comes around. I, I would not, if everybody stays healthy, and they keep developing, uh, I can see this team fighting for a semifinal, final spot. I think looking at them and the experience, we've never had players with this much experience, international experience, playing on the national team. Would be a game changer, wouldn't it? I think all of us from an American soccer point of view, North American soccer point of view, yeah. can't wait for 2026. It's going to be wonderful. Yeah. Marcelo Babar, thank you very much for joining us. Before we let you go, uh, a prediction for Sunday, if you would, please. <laughs> really? Are you really going <laughs> to predict it? Really? All right, just to tease you, I'm going to go straight up, penalty kicks, Colorado wins. Wow. Just I'm not... to tease you. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> we do enjoy a tease here in the Twin Cities. Thank you very much for that. Wonderful, Marcelo Barbar. Thank you very much for joining us. Of course, you can watch the game on ESPN Sunday evening from 6.30 Central. And, of course, you can join us on the radio side of things as well, right here on Score North from 6 p.m. Myself, Kindred East St. Albin and Jonathan Harrison will have you covered. For full match coverage of Minnesota United against Colorado Rapids in the MLS Cup playoffs. Looking forward to your company. We'll see you on Sunday.